Hello, hello, beautiful people. You're listening to My Minute, a podcast dedicated to you staying soulful. I am your host, Della Bernard, and today we're going to discuss food options while you're camping and how to make this experience more enjoyable for different modalities as well. We're going to talk about different camping types because um, food is pretty complicated when it comes to more intensive forms of camping and I'm gonna help you out with that and if you're here and you're more of a glamping type this will also be applicable to you. Quick disclaimer the following content shouldn't be regarded as medical advice or health advice instead you should seek out a medical professional for any health related questions. In this episode this is less relevant because I won't really be talking about you know, any sort of meal planning or nutrition, mostly just providing you with some inspiration for your next camping trip. My camping experience is mostly limited to the northeast of the United States. I have a few camping experiences elsewhere in the United States, but I've camped in forests, on mountains, ponds, lakes, down rivers, Um, on islands. So I do have some waterway camping experiences where I traveled to my camping destination via water. But for the most part, I don't have much advice on winter camping and tropical terrains. So here's the meat of our stuff. So camping is so great. I don't know why we don't talk about this enough, but in the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, There was a um, literature review published by, I'm going to totally butcher this name, this researcher's name, but Keniger or Keniger and uh, fellow researchers in 2013 that touched on the benefits of interacting with nature. So this lit review reached the conclusions that interactions with nature can deliver a range of psychological, well-being, or cognitive physiological, social, or spiritual benefits. And some of the more interesting findings from various studies that were cited in this literature review that I found super interesting was that interactions with nature can positively influence behavior, um, academic performance, and social skills in children. And also, improvement in mood and self-esteem, Another study discovered that an outdoor therapeutic camping trip reduced the probability of patient relapse for recovering substance abusers. Tons of interesting things you can find online, but I'm sure if you're here, you know how great camping is. So first things first, you want to decide or kind of just think about what kind of camping you're going to be doing because this impacts what kind of food you can bring. So What kind of terrain? What's the weather going to be like? Because if it's hot, you're going to have to figure out a way to store any perishable food. If it's going to be cold, don't have to worry about that. If the terrain's super rugged, this may affect the weight that you're willing to carry on your back if you're hiking. Also, what kind of modality of camping are you doing? Are you short-term camping where you're only going to be hiking for a couple... You're only going to be hiking and then camping out for a couple of days. So it's like a short hike and it's not like a huge travel. Maybe it's only a couple mile hike and you're only going to be there temporarily and then you can just hike back and you'll be at a trailhead. 
Or are you backpacking where there isn't that option? You are miles and miles and miles away from where you begun your journey. You're traveling for a long period of time, so a week or more, and you're traveling this large distance. Or are you doing something more low-key, like I call it glamping, even though a lot of people don't associate this with glamping. So maybe I should call it vehicle camping or RV camping, I'm not sure. But basically, you're able to arrive to the site with your automobile vehicle. So I see that because I distinguish that from waterway camping, which is you're you're traveling via water with a water form of vehicle to your camp destination. So you travel there by sailboat, canoe, kayak, whatever. And oftentimes they're called remote paddle two sites and they're just basically just only accessible by water. Take all this into consideration because it matters in terms of what you're able to do. So some general notes real quick. Primitive camping rules varies by state, so check on your state's government website on the recreation tab to find out more. The USDA Forest Service website also has really good resources. Often there's, this is pretty universal, there's a no trace rule, there's often rules surrounding fire, so this is really important when taking into consideration what you're going to be able to eat because if you're camping somewhere where there's not fire pits and there's fires aren't allowed, you're going to want to make sure that you have another solution. An example is the White Mountains in New Hampshire don't allow, there's no fire pits or fires allowed. Um, Also, a lot of places where there's wildfires won't let you light fires during certain times of the year. So, places like New Mexico, California. Gotta drink some water real quick. Gotta hydrate. So, often fires have to be a certain distance from other trees or water. Just use the designated fire pits. You won't even have to think about that. Uh, Also, don't bring firewood from a different state if you're planning to do to do that because you could end up bringing an invasive species from across state lines. You don't want to do that. And also remote campsites are first come first serve. This varies by states. Sometimes you can book advance, but keep this in mind because you may not get the site that you want, meaning you may not get that pit grill that you saw on the picture on the USDA forest website uh, that was only present at one campsite in the area. So make sure you take these things into consideration. So next, you're going to want to decide what your cooking equipment is. Loosely, we can kind of, we can kind of like come back to this as we're talking, but I basically think of three solutions for me personally. Well, I guess four. If there's a pre-built fire pit, I, some, well, hmm. no, usually I just, I do bring some sort of cookware, like um, if I'm going to use the fire pit. So like a cast iron pan and a spatula usually, and I put wood as, like, a a grill rack, basically, which some people may roll their eyes at, but if there's not, like, a cooking rack. But for this option, you're really going to have to consider what your wood source is going to be. So, you got to consider if it's rained recently, because if it has, then automatically collecting wood is going to be out of the picture. It's just not an option. It's not realistic to think that you're going to be able to deal with all that, cutting open wood, Um, and using the inside of the wood because sometimes you can obtain dry wood that way. Um, It's just not realistic. So if it has rained recently, you're going to have to bring your own wood and an axe because often it's pretty hard to find 
really processed wood on a whim. Um, or you're gonna have to bring a fire starter, like a tree resin, along with some bigger logs, whatever. So make sure you bring an axe. Um, now if you're gonna be hiking, I understand the desire to not bring an axe, but still bro, bring an axe, not a hatchet. An axe is always gonna help you out. So if you're taking a hike and it's only like, I don't know, three miles, I think you can handle it if you have an axe cover. Um, and you pack lightly, it's, I mean, I've done it before. It's not impossible. Don't bring a hatchet unless you have really small wood. <laughs> it doesn't work out. You cut open your hand because <laughs> the amount of force you need to, to whack open big logs of wood is way more than a hatchet can, can produce. So yeah, that's really my only recommendation. But if you are hiking somewhere and it's dry, just collect your wood. If it's a short-term trip, you're going to be fine. Now, if you're hiking for several days, that's just really not going to be realistic every time. So you're always going to need option two on deck. So option two is going to be a portable lightweight gas stove. You can get them on most outdoor companies' websites or Amazon um, for like one pound. And the other option that I think about is having no fire. So for me, those are really the three solutions. I know that there's definitely other ways, but I really don't want this conversation to be too extensive because, you know, this is just supposed to be like an introductory video. If you are backpacking, what you're gonna wanna do is either buy freeze-dried food or dehydrated food, pre-dehydrated food, or prepare your own dehydrated food, or Bring some easy essentials uh, that aren't like dehydrated or prepared like this. So there's a couple options. You can either mail your food to you and stop at different destinations along your trail, or you can stop in town every few days and buy meals on the go and do some mailing. It depends what you want to do, but obviously if you're going for a long amount of time, you're not going to be able to pack everything on you. It's just not feasible. So think about that. There's different solutions. You can buy, you can just mail it to the, like a post office. If you're wondering like, where do I mail it in a like local, in, in an area that's off of a trail, just mail it to the post office, literally set the address as that and then claim it. It's a thing you can do. Look more into it online. Lots of information. So for freeze-dried food options, they, there is the Recreational Equipment Incorporation. You can order. It's just a co-op. You can order it all online or you can get some from your local Walmart. They have them in the camping aisle. Also, there's a lot of options with freeze-dried foods. That's kind of one of the pros of this option is there's there's so many different kinds of meals there's oh beef stroganoff there's pad thai there's alfredo there's pretty much any whole full course meal that you you want it's not just a few ingredients and this option lasts a lot longer so if you don't eat something on one trip it's it lasts several years so most of the moisture from this food is sucked out because of the way this uh, this process works. Whereas like with dehydration, only like 70% of water is, is sucked out from your food. So this kind of, this food rots within like a year, whereas freeze-dried food rots in several years. <laughs> 
So that's going to be an easy, convenient option, but it also is more costly than pre-dehydrating, in my opinion, from my experience, I guess, because I guess you could you could make it more expensive as well, dehydrating, because you do have to buy a dehydrator. So it depends on what kind of investment you want to make, if at all. So with a dehydrator, they're, I don't know, some of them, they really range in price. Some are 30, some are 200. It just depends on the quality that you want. But you can pretty much make any meal that you want, just like freeze-dried food. Uh, some, a really good TikTok account that I follow is called through hikers they make their own they so they are backpackers and they make their own dehydrated meals and then they mail out their meals to post office uh, along their trail and they have a lot of great recipes one that i did from them was their creamy pasta it's just like tomato sauce onions spinach dehydrated milk kidney beans pasta. I only dehydrated the tomato sauce and onions because the trip I was going on, I didn't uh, need to worry about weight as much, and so I didn't want to dehydrate the spinach or the kidney beans. I just bought them dry, so it was just like I just soaked them. Um, But anyways, the tomato sauce and onion takes about 12 hours to dehydrate, and you just pack it up and bring it with you or mail it to yourself, whatever. And it tastes really good. You just, I think it's like a cup of water you put in in a little pot and yeah it's pretty simple you just rehydrate the food and there you go there's your meal so another good meal is salmon i know that is really well when you uh, dehydrate it yourself if you marinate some salmon always really great it takes about eight hours to dehydrate and a pro about salmon is that it's really rich in omega-3 fatty acids and surprisingly when you are engaging in low to moderate exercise throughout the duration of a day, 65% of your energy needs comes from fat. So this is great for someone who's backpacking because you're only using like 35%, 35% of your energy is coming from carbs. So you are going to need some sort of a fat source. Again, don't take this as nutrition advice, but just, you know, a tip from me because I know about it. Um, So make sure that you Take care of yourself in that way. Now, another way to get your fat is olive oil. It's one of the most dense foods that you can carry that's super light. Um, Even just a couple tablespoons. And also, it makes for great um, cooking preparation. It allows you to not char the crap out of whatever you're cooking. (laughs) Okay, now I'm going to talk about some foods for backpackers that require less prep. So, note, yes, fruit are great and all to eat around the campsite, but I would not recommend eating this on a whim right before you're about to go on a hike or, you know, do some spur of the moment hiking because it contains fructose and fructose is known to upset your stomach um, during exercise if you eat it right before exercise, like 30 minutes before. Now, I do recommend, I mean, I'm not a dietitian, so I'm not giving you, like, nutrition advice. Just from my own experience, I, you know, and honestly, everybody knows this, that eating carbs beforehand will improve your performance, but you're not gonna, you're gonna wanna stay away from fruit. So maybe some candy bars. Honestly, I know a lot of people that eat Snickers because it's satiating because it has nuts in it, but also it's got that caramel and sugar. So it provides a quick boost. Um, And I mean, this is 
that that tip, the Snickers thing, was advice from somebody who hiked the Appalachian Trail uh, like a year ago. So he had definitely his experience, and he recommended Snickers as his number one trail food. Or trail mix is good. Uh, protein bars or like or sports bars are great. Pro, uh, protein bars are going to be satiating for like a late night snack. Um, Slim Jims, some people do that. Ranch seeds and sunflower seeds, chef's kiss, they taste so good. Again, you can make those with the dehydrator. So there's a lot of foods you can you can go for. And there's also like liquids. You can do sports drinks. You know, water is going to be really important on your hike. I'm not going to go as much into that um, because a lot of people get their water different ways. Some people are crazy and they use those, I can't remember what it's called, the filter straw, the life straws, I think they're called. I have one, but I would I would never use that as my sole source because you really never know what kind of water you're gonna get. But water is gonna be super important for you to take into consideration too. Again, I recommend a gas stove for somebody who's backpacking or going on um, a really long-term hike, but they wouldn't consider it backpacking. The last thing I wanna go over is some breakfast foods and um, peanut butter. Peanut butter is also great like olive oil, really energy dense, has some great nutrients. It's a little heavier, so if you're concerned about weight, it may not be your option, but I will always bring some peanut butter around because it goes great with fruit, which again, I said not to eat right before you're about to, you know, work out and go on a, uh, a quick hike and go fastly, swiftly through the trails, but it tastes good with a lot of things. And bread, it's pretty versatile in my opinion. So... Peanut butter is great for breakfast with something else. And then oatmeal is lightweight. And if you don't have a dehydrator, it's pretty easy to get your hands on. Rehydrated banana chips goes good with oatmeal and some chia seeds. You're going to want to, I'm not, I know this is true for flax seeds that if you kind of grind it up a little more, it makes the omegas in there a little more accessible. So I'm sure it's the same for chia seeds. Not sure. Don't quote me on that though. So just smush them up a little bit before so you can access those nice fats. And there's also going to be some pre-dehydrated foods that you can get where you're not going to have to really do as much prep. So like mac and cheese or pasta or rice sides, tortellini, uh, dried fruit, like I said, but you can just buy it from the store instead of preparing it yourself. Instant mashed potatoes, ramen. And then a lot of people bring soup, it's just going to be heavier, so that's going to work more for somebody who's going on a short-term hike, like a three-hour hike somewhere and only staying there for like two days. You're just not going to have to bring as much food on you, so you can probably afford to bring a can of soup. Beans, oh my god, like heaven. They, oh, they hit so well on a trail, man. <laughs> Pretzels are great, like I said, bread and peanut butter. Now, here's a quick tip on something that you thought you may not be able to have on a trail without a cooler is freaking cereal. You just gotta bring your cereal. This is, again, this is for somebody who's gonna do a short-term hike and so you don't have to bring as much food so weight isn't as much of a concern for you. So, because this is gonna require you to bring condensed milk or I guess you could use like a dehyd dehydrated milk or like there's a lot of times there's those coffee mate pre-dehydrated 
creamers you could use. I just think that might be a little gross, so powdered creamer as milk. But these are all options. You can use some condensed milk and just mix it with a little water. And the cereal, it tastes super extra sweet, so be careful about dental caries, but <laughs> it's, it's great. And the last thing I wanted to go through with you, which is going to be a little more uh, relevant for just general tips is to not forget a freaking can opener. This is this is my Achilles heel. I always forget a can opener and then I'm using my hatchet to smash into a can and that's not safe. You don't want to swallow some metal. So I also love energy balls. I make them. I have a great recipe on my website. Macro bars is one of my favorite kinds of bars. It's gluten-free. It's a small business. They have a lot of like dairy-free bars. They have a lot of different options. They're all plant-based, I'm pretty sure. So, and they taste great to me. They're a little more on the expensive side. I think they're like almost three bucks per bar, but dang, they are worth it. So, as a backpacker, I recommend either bringing a lighter, matches, or a ferro rod. Those are in my opinion, the lightweight options for fire starters. I wouldn't bring some sort of a tree resin because in the first place, I wouldn't even recommend you bring wood as a backpacker. Pretty think everyone, pretty sure everyone would think you're crazy if you tried to do that. And as a, so, so I guess that's the only general tip I have for fire starting for that kind of a camping. So now let's talk about the other kinds of camping, which I'm going to kind of lump all together because the short-term camping, so if you're going to just camp for like two days and you're, you have like a three-hour hike, most of my advice to you is going to be just follow suit with what all the, all the advice that I gave for the backpackers because hiking is not fun when you're lugging around a cooler in my opinion, but I mean, by all means, don't let me stop you if you feel like your trail isn't super rugged and you can handle it. Go ahead, bring a cooler with some ice and I don't know, rig up something, but just keep in mind the weather and if it's going to melt. If you're winter camping, I'm sure you're, you're fine. <laughs> you won't even have to worry about that. You can just park your cooler in some snow, but keep in mind that the danger zone for any food, most foods, actually not, not all foods, but most foods is 41 degrees to 135 degrees Fahrenheit. And that, so the point where ice starts to form is the freezing point is 32 degrees, but frozen is zero degrees. So just keep these things in mind when you think about storing your food. Now glamping, if you're glamping, you're good for it. You can bring a cooler because you can always just run back to the store, get some ice, maybe drive down, drive down the mountain you're at, go to the local small town. There's going to be some sort of a gas station that, or like just convenience store that you can get some ice at. But, or if, and if you're in an RV, I mean, you might even have a freezer hookup in there. So, or even an ice maker, you can buy ice makers. So, you, you can bring a cooler and honestly I recommend you bring one because mm, some good bacon and eggs oh that's my little kitty hold on guys okay so my point here is just like I understand that a hot dog can slap or like a hamburger can slap on a camping trip or some eggs sausage or bacon in the morning 
or some, I don't know, some eggs with some cheese, but you're going to need like some ice in a cooler. And I know a lot of people have really nice coolers like Yetis and the Igloo coolers or whatever. And so your ice may last longer. So you may be able to afford a weekend trip with just a lot of ice. But also like if you're glamping, I'm not sure if I already said this, but you, it's just, it might just be a little trip into town and it may not disrupt your trip too much. So yeah, I mean, this is really the only advice I have for you guys. I wish I had more information on the glamping and water. I mean, with the waterway stuff, you can afford to bring a cooler on your boat. Like that's really all I'm saying is you can do all the stuff that backpackers do, but you can also afford on a, honestly, on a sailboat, usually you have a, a kitchen. There's a lot of times you have a kitchen in your sailboat. So, I mean, I, I feel like you guys don't really need as much advice. But if you're kayaking, because I've kayaked before, again, you can afford a cooler. It just depends on what you're prioritizing. And I personally wouldn't do that, but you can. And so, I'm just going to say that, like, all the backpacking advice is applicable to you. Except, it depends if you want. I, I personally would, like, when I have water camped... It's either been on a sailboat, which we could bring as much wood and stuff that we wanted, or I was on a kayak and I went down a river and basically I just collected sticks and I only stayed one night. So I collected sticks and I didn't have to bring wood. So I started a fire and I didn't have to worry about bringing a cooler because I just brought non-perishable food, um, like some dehydrated food and stuff and some clementines and stuff. So I... I just, like, don't recommend you make your trip hard because of the food you need to put in your body. But I'm not trying to kill your sunshine because, oh, dang, a freaking hot dog is great. Just, I'm going to tell you, I've ran into a bear because I cooked hot dogs a little too late at night, which, obviously, red flag number one, you don't want to cook meat right when the sun goes down because that's when bears wake up and that's when they're about to, to look for some look for some goodies. And they can smell within, I don't know, like 200 yards, it's it's quite crazy, or a couple miles, it's, I honestly don't know how far they can smell, but they can smell from a very far distance away. So, make sure if you're going to cook some meat, to cook it during the daylight hours. That's, I guess, the main thing I have for you. I lucked out, I had bear spray, and it was a black bear, so it wasn't like super scary or anything. They usually are just kind of nosy, but if you get the wrong bear, you never know what can happen. I The last tip I have for you guys is to bring protein powder if you um, are worried about getting enough protein. I'm not really a huge fan of supplements, but I know a lot of people love protein powder. Um, and mix it in with something. <laughs> um, you can't bring... I've never, I've never brought any sort of a blender thing, but if any of you guys have any ideas on how to make use of some sort of some sort of mechanism to create smoothies or blend something, send me a message. You can um, contact me. I have a contact tab on my website. Send me a message and tell me your thoughts and ideas because I would love to hear them on how to blend something. I'm sure there's a way, man. There's some really creative campers out there. But I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Tell me if you guys want more stuff like this. I try to keep up with topics that I am knowledgeable about and camping is definitely one of those things. I enjoy 
so much when I'm camping. I even like to forage sometimes, but I'm not going to recommend that as a food source because if you don't have a lot of experience foraging, it could really go south. But I will say that dandelions and clovers are usually a safe bet. People usually are able to identify these plants. They're pretty easy to identify. I've made acorn flower, never made it <laughs> while I've been on a camping trip, but one of my supervisors has, and he just put acorns in a bag and leached them in a bag in a river, in a running river, and he grinded up with some rocks and stuff. So he, he's, he's done that. So I'm sure that you could do that on a long-term camping trip. If, you want, if you're wanting to have some fun, pick up a little bushcraft or some sort of primitive skills, go for it. I hope you guys enjoyed, and as always, stay soulful for me, guys.